am Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great, actually. It's bright and sunny and fairly warm out, so it makes me happy. All right, good. I like it. I'll take that. That's great. Today, we are going to talk about kids and finances, uh, which will be a good one because, as I mentioned to Julie, I don't know that my wife and I are doing this totally right with our three kids, so we'll see how this goes. And uh, we're lucky enough, we've had a string of great guests. We're lucky enough to have another guest today. With us today is Anthony Delani, and uh, he has written a book called Dash and Nikki and the Jelly Bean Game. You can get it everywhere. And uh, Anthony, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is great. It's great to have you. And can you just, can we start off by you maybe telling us a little bit about your history and, you know, what prompted you to write this book? Sure. Um, So... I've been in the financial services industry for about uh, 20 years, just under 20 years. I came into it right out of college. And during those years, I uh, got married, um, went through kind of all the stages of uh, early uh, adulthood, I guess you could say, uh, including uh, not only getting married, but having two children uh, who are Mm -hmm. now, I have a daughter who will be turning 13 in the next seven days, which terrifies me, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and a 10-year-old son. Uh, But basically during my journey uh, in the financial planning world, I discovered that I had a real significant passion for families. I love working with families, just all the different dynamics that go in. And recently, well, somewhat recently, back in 2015, I actually had a life event that took place that uh, really changed the trajectory of how I uh, how I view things. And uh, unfortunately, it was a bit of a sad event. I had a cousin, his name was Greg Plitt. And uh, Greg was really famous in the fitness world. And uh, he unfortunately passed away unexpectedly. And as kind of a way of remembering him, he had a website where members would email in questions on life and fitness. And basically, I started to watch those videos and realized that a lot of his philosophies as they relate to fitness could also apply to the world of finance. So... Uh, I decided, how could I, uh, you know, give a tribute to Greg and just remember him and, and share his word? Uh, I decided to write a book about it, and um, uh, one of his stories was actually on the concept of death, uh, and it was called "Owning the Dash." Uh, and the dash is on your tombstone between your birth and death dates, kind of the dash in between, basically just taking ownership okay. of your life. Uh, so. Uh, that book came out in 2019, uh, right before all the craziness of COVID, this, that, and the other. And uh, it was it, it was it was a great uh, experience. Obviously, a lot of emotion went along with it, but uh, a lot of people got value out of the book. So during the past few years, I've had a number of individuals saying that 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 book was really written for young families. But how about us looking to make the transition into retirement? So I started uh, to to write a book on that transition. And while I was writing, I, w- I would write the book during the evening hours uh, after kind of the wife and kids went to bed and um, my daughter uh, who just uh, does not she she loves to to be up any hour she can uh, just does not go to bed (laughs) when (laughs) she would sometimes I would be writing uh, and uh, I look to the side and there she would be saying hi daddy Uh, which which was wonderful Um, and uh, we actually came up with this fun idea of writing a children's picture book uh, during those evening hours and I've always tried as we said, we're all parents. We're, we're trying to figure out, the, are we doing it right, doing it wrong? And right. I can tell you, even as a financial planner who's helped families for two decades, uh, you can raise two kids the exact same way and they could view things totally differently. Um, in our mm. case, my, um, my son, 
uh, is very, um, he, he's uh, the saver. He, he wants to just hoard and save as much as he can, whereas my daughter is more of the giver. And so we came up with this idea of Dash and Nikki and the Jelly Bean Game. And the whole idea behind the story is that uh, you may have heard of something called the Marshmallow Study. Uh, the Marshmallow Study was done years back where they put children in a room and they gave them a marshmallow and said, uh, I'm just going to leave this here. I'll be back in a few minutes. If the marshmallow is still there, I'll give you another marshmallow. And they hmm. studied to see which kids could resist the temptation and which could not, uh, and just how they reacted to other things in life. So in this case, uh, with Dash and Nikki and the Jelly Bean Game, uh, a brother and sister wake up one morning. Uh, Dash and Nikki might look a lot like uh, two children that I know personally. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and uh, they wake up and there's a letter waiting for them that invites them to play the Jelly Bean Game, where they each get 10 jelly beans to start off the day. Uh, and for every hour that they can resist, they get five more. And um, what we basically get to see in the story is that one of the children, uh, being the, the saver, gets excited and wants to win the game and starts saving. And he does some things to help himself kind of resist the temptation of the jelly beans. Whereas the other, the, in this case, my, reflected on my daughter being more the giving person and a bit more impulsive sometimes, she decides to uh, wait about two minutes and then those jelly beans somehow disappeared. <laughs> uh, so the, the idea behind the story, though, is to teach that um, you know, she gets to see kind of over as the hours pass her brother accumulating more and more whereas you know her plate is still empty and uh, there's a little bit of a twist in the story where the two of them work out toward uh, work out a plan toward the end where they both can win by working together he he, he helps her out a bit and i think that there's a lot of just kind of key principles in the story about patience uh, about working together and compassion and uh, just also really seeing the value of if you kind of think for a moment uh, and you wait sometimes something much bigger can be can be down the corner at the end of the day so just lots right. of fun lessons and uh, I, uh, I focused on jelly beans because a lot of times when you talk to kids about money especially young children they understand what it is but they don't know how they don't have their they don't make their own money so they can't really relate to it as well but when it comes to uh, things like candy that is something they can definitely or many can can definitely relate to uh, so uh, this was a way of kind of bringing something in that would excite uh, young children, but also kind of giving a little, a few lessons in the background. When I, when I read the book, I, I was delighted at the collaborative twist at the end, because I think a lot of the time that doesn't get modeled for children. And so to have the book model it for the real life game, you know, presumably the whole point of this is to have parents and families play this game in their home. And, um, and to, to have that role modeled, I think we'll put that idea in the kids' heads, that that's something that, that they could do. I, I really liked that. that. That pleased me. Thank you. Yes. I, th I think that one of the hard parts about just many life lessons is that um, it, a lot of individuals sometimes think it's a I win, you lose, or a win. one person has to win and one person has to lose. And in many cases, everyone uh, or many can win. Uh, so yeah. uh, it's uh, when uh, young individuals see that it's important not only to think for your own future, but find out how you can help others who may be in need. It's just, just uh, the, really the biggest goal with these with this book is um, to, to just get the conversation started, to get the, those kind of creative thinking you know, scenarios working. And uh, if it encourages parents to have a conversation with their children or vice versa, then, uh, and, to, and if they play the game, uh, even better, because by the end of the day, you can imagine there's some conversations coming, <laughs> so. Oh yeah, for sure. And I guess the idea is, so I have a couple of questions. What would you say uh, this book is, what's the age range maybe for, for this particular book? And also, what age do you think it's appropriate to start uh, talking to your kids about money? I mean, it seems with you using jelly beans for money, the idea, and you've already kind of said this, is that you can start to relate these ideas that doesn't, it's not literally about the dollar bills or the coins. So what age is this book? What kids? What do you think the age range is? And you personally, what, what, when do you think you start this conversation with your kids? Sure. So um, the first piece is the book itself uh, is most appropriate probably for ages eight and under or seven and under. And uh, But uh, I have had actually a number of teachers say that this is the, the lessons that are in the book are things that 
uh, anyone in elementary school could, could really get value out of. So it's, uh, there are some kind of higher level lessons in the books that um, c- can be discussed. But uh, I think children, especially with being able to see the colorful designs and the jelly beans, uh, it, it'll kind of bring them in and get them thinking and try it. One thing I learned in the, in the writing world, especially for children's books, is that you, you don't want to tell the reader what they should be thinking. They have to kind of uh, imagine themselves in the character's shoes and kind of feel the emotion themselves versus you telling them how they should be feeling, which I, I thought was really interesting. And uh, in this case, yes, the, the big goal is to try to have young individuals feel that emotion of the characters as the, the, the excitement and also the kind of you know, disappointment or sadness, not, not extreme sadness by any means. Right. Um, but to, to your question on when to start talking to children about these things, um, I think that one of the hardest things that... Um, sometimes parents grapple with is to talk to children directly about money is is difficult and a lot of times a lot of the the concepts go over their heads um, for 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 children ages eight plus uh, even into their early teens there, there's such a focus on i need to teach my child how to invest and i need to teach my child how to like make uh, you know learn the market and, and learn the tricks of the trade and that and the reality is that the most uh, important lessons are really the fundamental ones. It's how does a budget work? How, how why do I save? You know, why is it important to protect? Um, and ju- just uh, understanding how to just run a basic household and why, why parents go to work, th- things of that nature. Mm. So those conversations can be had at any point. And one thing I, I would say that, that kids love to do is they love to be mini adults. They love to play house. They love to play, you know, uh, zookeeper or whatever it might be, where they're in charge. And I think that a lot of times, when instead of just telling children what to do, putting them in positions where they get to make a decision and seeing how they react, good or bad, that that creates the memories. That that's the experience that, that they get to learn from. So even bringing very young children to the grocery store with you and kind of saying, what are the things you think we need to get? Uh, and if they go immediately to the candy aisle and start piling up, that you can maybe have a conversation on, is this what you think would be good to feed our family uh, every day? Or do you think that we need to have something? And then all of a sudden they're going to feel the ownership of, no, I don't want to you know, feed bad food to my family. I want to feed good food to my family. So a lot of the money concepts, it even goes back to uh, the first book I mentioned uh, where I, I applied fitness principles to the idea of finance. Um, a lot of times it's just the mindset as we relate to so many different things of life, just pausing, thinking about our, our mindset, how we're viewing this piece and then uh, moving forward and the investing side and so forth. That's all you know, important, but that's that's right. kind of down the road once you've got the, the foundation built. Julie, could you speak a little bit to your how you kind of frame this and when you start? And I, I think I want to share and Anthony, I'd be interested to hear your feedback on this. So. When my kids were younger, we did reach a point where, and I want to get into how you feel about chores and do you give allowance and how we work with that, but let's stick with sort of age and I'm going to relate Julie's sort of principles and then Julie, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So sure, we went through a period where we were having family meeting. We were giving our kids each money. Maybe it was $5. I don't think it was connected to chores and what Julie has talked about in the past is that talking about the ideas of save some, spend some. And then I think we had like a donation jar. So some of it would go to a donation. Julia, am I sort of, am I sort of encapsulating that right in terms of yeah, your concept absolutely. and how you view it? And when you start, could you just talk about it a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm opposed to giving money for chores only because practically speaking, it often stops working in terms of, you know, if that's your way that you're going to teach about finances, at some point the kid says, well, you know what, making a bed is not worth the quarter or not worth the dollar. Either give me more or I'm just not going to do it. So then they don't learn about household responsibilities and they don't learn about finances. And it's like a lose-lose, right? I think for me, chores are always something that we do because we're members of a family and we have responsibilities in a family to take care of you know, the the way the house looks, the way garbage gets disposed of, the way dishes get taken care of, et cetera. And I do believe in allowance. I believe that it's important to give money to our children so that they can have the experiential component 
of what happens if they're careless with their money and it gets, you know, lost or stolen. And it's a heartbreak when that happens, but it does teach responsibility. What happens when we spend all of our money on candy or all of our money on the plastic toy that's going to break in the next 12 hours at CVS, right? And how does that work? And I've always thought about allowance as being money that you would probably spend on your kids anyway, but you give it to them to manage. So because children, you know, under the age of five, I would say, money is kind of just a toy. I mean, they don't really recognize it. They don't have the cognitive capability of recognizing that. But, you know, some five-year-olds can. Certainly by the age of six, one of the things that they're doing in schools is teaching, you know, five pennies equal a nickel and two nickels equal a dime. And, you know, they're, they're utilizing principles that children can relate to with regard to what is the actual value of this. Um, not necessarily the the value in our lives of it, but like what adds up to what. So, I mean, that's kind of my basic belief system. You know, where I think Anthony's book really hit home for me was it allows kids to have certain experiences. If they play this game, they have the experience without it being so heartbreaking if it's real money. And as a parent myself, and Anthony, just so you know, my children are grown and I have a grandchild at this point too. But with my children, the hardest thing to watch was, you know, when they lost that dollar bill. I mean, it was only a dollar right? But it crushed me. And I had to let them live through that. So I think the jelly beans are a less crushing way to to have this experience right. for the entire family. Yeah. So, so Anthony, I'm just curious. And, you know, we're not looking to agree with everything on this podcast. So I, I just wondering what your reflection yeah. is listening to Julie and what your point of view, like, do you do allowance with your kids like do you do you do it for chores how do how do you how do you frame that and look at it absolutely we have uh in our house a uh spa- uh spend save and give jars so uh, ah. hearing you two bring it up uh right there the, but we did throw a twist on it um i find that a lot of times with the spend save and give that a lot of times the, the parents say kind of 20% or this percentage of of your allowance goes into this jar that jar that jar in this case, we actually allowed them to choose within certain parameters um, how much, because as I mentioned, my, my, my daughter being a very giving individual, she wanted to put a bit more per uh, pay period or <laughs> pay period. Wow. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. You're a finance guy. It's a pay yes, period. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, to, to, to each time towards her, her give jar, whereas my son, who is a, a hoarder, he wanted to save as much as he possibly could. And I think um, it just after working with uh, young couples, that oftentimes the old phrase opposites attract. Uh, you kind of have one person who might be the saver and one person who's the spender. And I think it's it's definitely important for spenders to learn how to save. But on the same end, it is important for savers to learn how to spend. A hundred percent. Just an example, the reason I, I like uh, that type of exercise or them having something that they can fall back on, and I 100% agree with your point, if you make it a transactional thing when it comes to you have to do this chore to get this money, uh, eventually they start, kids, it is a constant battle of outsmarting the other. You know, kids outsmart <laughs> us, we outsmart them back and forth until they're so smart that they uh, we can't figure out anything, so they move away. Uh, they're ready to, to leave the leave the nest. But with my son as an example, he, uh, obviously I, I think it's great that he has a passion for saving. But um, so when we go to the grocery store, I. Uh, incur, I basically say to him, yes, you can get uh, this item, but in order to get it, you've got to pay a certain percentage, you know, 50% or 75%. And then all of a sudden he starts to say, you know, he has to do the calculation in his head, okay, how much of my spend money does that, does that equal? And um, it basically requires to him to have some skin in the game. Uh, he has to participate. And for being this, the extreme saver, uh, it means he has to spend. And uh, it makes the conversation much, much faster. There, there, since we introduced that, the the level of debating on whether or not we should get whatever item is at the grocery store has just almost been eliminated because 
um, it, it allows us to make a, a joint decision on something together. So, so yes, I think the more control that, that the children have in those decision-making processes just really helps. And when they feel ownership, I think that uh, I mentioned that the, the, the book, uh, the original book I wrote was called Owning the Dash. It's, all, it's, it's not just adults. Children also can take ownership of their lives. And um, a lot of the, the times as we're trying to teach them, it's not so much us telling them what to do. It's mm-hmm. giving them a sense of feeling that they're in control of the decision that's being made, uh, even if we're gu- helping to guide that decision in some way. Um, I want to go back to the sa- uh, spend, save, and give away jars. Because one question I always get asked by parents is, like, what are they saving for? Like, how does the, what's the difference between spend and save? What if they say, well, I want to use the money I say, I want to save money to buy candy. How do, how do you differentiate? Because I get a little stumped by that when parents ask me that. I'm like, I'm not really sure. So I would say that if you say you're saving for your future or you're saving for your college or something like that, that, that that's almost dead in the water. Uh, I mean, <laughs> they're, 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 uh, children, uh, there's no kind of real, uh, it's depending on the age, of course, um, real, real sense of connection to that. But I do think exactly. that, that uh, and obviously every parents, depending on their means and their scenario, that allowance amount uh, can be very different. So depending on how much is going into the save jar, you might say, okay, uh, if they save this amount every month for this period of time, they will have accumulated this amount by, say, the end of six months or end of a year or something like that. And then you can try to find something that the that the child values and, and maybe actually just talk about what are some things you would want to save for? Um, so, so maybe it's a holiday type gift or, 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 or a birthday type item or, or whatever it might be, but something that requires them to build up to achieve that particular item so that they ha- have the idea of associating saving with something in particular versus just saving to save. One thing I can tell you in the financial services world when it comes to working with adults is when you're saving just to save, in other words, just putting an amount into an account it's very hard to stick to your goal because you don't have a set target in mind. Uh, whereas if you say, I need to save this amount per month and have it grow at this rate of return or whatever it might be to get to that level, then all of a sudden it, you can validate why you're saving and it makes it so much easier to stick to that goal. So I, I think for kids, it doesn't have to be one particular thing, but it might be a few things that fall into this range. I, once we've saved up, you know, $10 or, or whatever the amount is, at that point, we can then use that to, to go to a place that you love to go to, to shop for a toy or, or, or something of that nature. Children have very short attention spans and they're much shorter nowadays than yeah. uh, just because there's so much information thrown at them. So to say something that's maybe five or 10 years out, that's, uh, it's just too, too long of a horizon yeah. for, for their attention spans. But also to say something that is um, just at the end of the month that that's they have to have some you know feel what it feels like to see this thing growing and I think that that's the other exciting part is if they can see their savings grow it, it gives them some um, uh, some joy in knowing that hey I am building this thing and I know that it will be there for for when that day comes I have a question about I actually am I have questions popping in my head as you keep talking one of them <laughs> is what what are what are some of the mistakes that parents make? when they're talking to their kids about money. And there, you've already said a couple of things that I, I'm assuming are mistakes. And one of the things you keep talking about, which really is kind of an uber concept for our podcast, this comes up in every episode, that it's a collaboration with your kids. That's so much of what we talk about. We come back to the idea of like having a conversation with your kids. And it sounds like a mistake that parents make is getting restrictive so that the children don't have any agency. But Anthony, and then Julie, I'd like to hear you too. Anthony, what would you say uh, are the biggest mistakes parents make around money with their kids? Um, Kids definitely watch what we do as opposed to what we say. So if we tell them to save and we're not doing it ourselves, uh, it's uh, honestly when I wrote Dash and Nicky and the Jellybean Game, it was certainly writ- written for young children. But it's also as parents are reading the story to their children, the question is, who am I? Am, am I which child am I being in this scenario when it comes to saving for our future? So uh, they certainly watch our behavior. 
Um, I think the other thing is that a lot of times we want our kids to grow up too fast. Uh, we want to try to teach them too much at once. Um, and that, that goes back to the comment I made earlier on investing. Uh, I won't speak of any sites or things of that nature, but a lot of things that uh, when it comes to kind of online sites that teach you how to invest or allow you to invest, uh, sometimes they have bells or whistles that go off every time you make a trade and it's almost a casino-like environment. And if you introduce a young teenager or a child to that environment, all of a sudden they're going to associate emotion with investing. And it, that, that, that can be a path to, to a lot of difficulty down the road. Um, so uh, as, as boring as it might sound, sometimes um, uh, trying to teach kids to control their emotions. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the things I do in Dash and Nikki and the Jelly Begin as an example is Dash to help control his temptation on eating the jelly, because he wants to eat them too, uh, is he takes a second, he, his jelly beans are on a plate, and he takes a second plate and covers them up uh, <laughs> so that he won't have to look at them. And the whole idea behind that is something I, that I, with adults as well, if, if we, uh, the idea of money not seen, money not missed. So if we can kind of give purpose to something and you know, um, try to find a way of putting it out of mind so that our emotions don't impact. So I think that, yes, um, if there's a a lesson that parents can teach kids is in various scenarios, how can we take that deep breath, think about the scenario and not allow, think, am I making an emotional decision right now? Or am I making a decision that I know I'll be happy about later on? I know that's getting very conceptual, uh, but... Uh, when you try to force too much for the kids to think about, I think that that's when they, the emotions really start to pick up. Uh, yeah, so, uh, be there just to support them and guide them and uh, also give them access to those fundamentals. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, uh, some parents are afraid to talk to their kids about money. And you don't have to tell your child how much you make or how much someone else makes or anything like that. But you can certainly talk about you know, these are the things that we pay for. One, one fun exercise that we've done in our house is... Hopefully it sounds fun. Uh, we went around the table <laughs> and we just said, let's try to name the different things that our family budget goes toward. And you know, food and clothing and, and the phone and, and TV or whatever it might be. And it, it, it be, making it at a game, all of a sudden, you know, they're getting excited as they come up with new and different things. And once again, it's getting them thinking. So I love that. Yeah. It's so funny as you were speaking at Anthony, I am. Um, it tri- the, about the jelly beans and the plate over. It triggered a memory for me of playing Monopoly with my dad, and and, and my family, and um, and I would I would put part of my Monopoly money under the board so that I didn't see it, and if I couldn't afford what I had out on the board, I didn't buy it. I can't say that it was the perfect strategy in Monopoly. In fact, I think I probably <laughs> lost more often than not. But it just triggered that. It was like I, I had this feeling of I've got to save something, you know, so that and every time I go collect $200 when I round the board, I'm going to put a dollar, but, you know, underneath. You know, again, probably not a great strategy, at least for Monopoly. <laughs> but it's a great strategy in life. And I mean, to your point, sometimes it's these little strategies. Uh, Your family probably noticed you doing that and thought about that as well. Hey, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I should try to consider doing that. Just uh, as a small side note, uh, I do uh, Dash and Nikki and the Jelly Bean Game is actually the first in a series of children's books that's going to be coming out. And one that's going to be coming out later this year, talking about games and things you can teach your children. So yes, so uh, with my son Jason, for example, uh, we recently played a game uh, in the backyard where we were just throwing the ball, football back and forth. And as we were throwing the ball, I thought, you know, him being the saver, um, maybe we can learn something from this, uh, from this moment. So I said, Jason, for every catch we make, um, I'll give you 25 cents. But if the ball falls, if the ball hits the ground, then all the money is lost. And you get to decide <laughs> when we stop playing. So once oh, again, like a game show. ownership on him, uh, and right. and of course, I did everything I can to make every pass as good as possible, and we got up to to five dollars, and then ten dollars, and then we're approaching fifteen, and I, and and as we're getting to the higher amounts, I started to say after with each throw, do you want to keep going? Are you sure? And of course, as we got higher, he started to think more and more about it, but um, as you might imagine, with kids. Uh, <laughs> 
let's just try for one more. And we got up to $18.25. And I said, is, you know, are we, are we done? And he said, all right, last one, Dad. This is the last one. And sure enough, I tossed it, it, fumbled the ball. Oh, and, no. And, and, but the, so the, the thing about it was that was really interesting is that, you know, usually instead of giving a fit or being upset, he knew he was in control of that decision-making process the entire right. time. So... Um, it, it, he was he paused and he was quiet, but he wasn't necessarily mad about at the football. He wasn't mad at me. He was just kind of reflecting on I allowed my emotion, my greed, essentially, to get the better of me. So the reason I, I love that story and I love that lesson is that in the future, when he does, uh, he may have a certain goal uh, that he's trying to work toward. Uh, but once he gets to that goal, stop and pause. Uh, am, am I where I want to be, or am I am I just trying to get more and more and then getting myself in trouble, which especially with young investors that that can, um, it, it can happen. I mean, Julie, it sounds like a lot of what Anthony's talking about is what we also talk about often is kind of imparting your values. Is that how you kind of see it, Julie? And, and the other thing that keeps coming up for me is it just, Anthony, you keep kind of just talking about, it seems like just to keep having these kind of open collaborative conversations about it, you keep doing these kind of setups, like whether it's, you know, sitting around the table and saying, hey, where do you think our money goes to? Or doing this thing with your son in the backyard, that it kind of brings up these opportunities to kind of think about it, talk through it, let's have a conversation. What do you think? But then I also think, Julie, would you say it's also just an opportunity when it particularly comes to money and finances is imparting your values as a parent onto your kids that hopefully you start that young enough that they're going to take that on in their life. Yeah, sure. I think one of the things um, that's kind of more of a question for me is, you know, what happens, and and this comes up all the time in my practice, you know, what happens if kids want to spend money on something that you don't value as a parent? Hmm. And it could be, you know, as uh, inexpensive as, you know, candy. Well, I don't want my kids to have candy. But I remember very distinctly when my son was, I think, in middle school. And they really wanted one of those handheld Nintendo. Right, right, sure. Right? You know, those handheld things. Yeah. And that was just not something that we were going to allow in the house. And we got a little stuck because they said, well, what if I save up for it? And we're like, you know, we thought for a moment, we said, look, it's not something we allow in the house. If you save up for it and you purchase it, that's your choice. And it means that you have to keep it at one of your friend's houses because Mm, we don't allow it in the house. They took that as gospel truth, which... um, Thank goodness, I'm not sure how we would how if they had bought one, what we would have actually done in that circumstance. But it comes up a lot, you know, kids who get a lot of money, for example, from grandparents for you know birthday or a holiday, and pretty soon they've amassed enough to buy, mm. let's say, the latest iPhone. But their parents don't want them to have that object because it's not developmentally appropriate or it's just an expensive object or whatever. So rather than kind of answer a question here, I I want to throw that back to Anthony and just say, you know, that I, you know, what do you do when your kid wants to spend money on some, for my daughter, you know what she wanted to buy? She wanted to buy a life-size Barbie. And there was so much wrong about that, you know, that I don't think they even have it, but you know, in terms of you know, the body image thing and it being her size, but having a full, you know, female body. And so we got out of that one because she was young enough to where we knew she could save for the next 10 years and then she'd be done with that idea. But I, you know, I think this is a, one of the things that kids want to do is they want to, it's not just about teaching them the value of money, but imparting our values about what is okay for them to spend on versus not okay. Does that make sense? Well, can I just add, Anthony, before you answer that? Yeah, that is because that's the one I get in my house too. Is you know, it's my, it's my. I have the money. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. So how how do you decide, Anthony, if they do have the money to to buy what they want? How do you decide? 
So I was very fortunate. Um, I have a, uh, I've been in the financial services world, but my wife has a background in education and has dealt with uh, <laughs> middle and high school students basically since we both graduated college together. And uh, I've learned very quickly that um, children respect, you don't have to be their friend. And, uh, and what I mean by that is that if you set rules in a house, they, if you, I mean, they'll, they'll give pushback, but they really do in the end value those rules and they understand why you're doing it and why you're saying no. And they know that, I mean, they may not say it at the time, they may give you some, some choice words, but in (laughs) the end, they're grateful for that structure and, uh, they also understand that you know, just because their neighbor has it or their friend has it, that there are reasons um, that we don't have those items in our house. Now, the, the, the flip side to that, and I'll, I'll just use an example. Um, uh, one thing that my son and I used to do, uh, and daughter to an extent, um, is uh, we would... Um, He'd love to look at Instagram uh, videos before he went to bed at night. So a much more mild type thing. And they were just <laughs> images of kittens, uh, which, of course, there are 10 billion of those. Uh, so nothing, nothing weird or whatnot. But I uh, just, you know, he's like, oh, it's, it's it, I don't know. They're just funny images. But my wife pointed out that uh, even though it's only five or 10 minutes in the evening, it, it became something that every time he wanted to just relax, he said, you know, he said, can we look at Instagram? Can we look at this? Can we look at this? And um, uh, we realized it was becoming something of a kind of impulsive type thing. But the thing that I also had to recognize for myself is that I am constantly, uh, I have the ability to have my work emails and, uh, and all my work-related items go through my phone. So my children do see me on my phone a lot. And if mm-hmm. they see me engaging in something during family time or whatnot that, that I tell them that they can't have or they can't do, Yes, we are parents and we have the ability to, you know, there are certain things we should be allowed to do as parents. But I do think that we have to watch out for the hypocrisy of if you bought a life-size Barbie doll for yourself and then not for your child, (laughs) that that would be uh, a little bit off. Or, um, But I think that to your point that uh, kids really do value the, uh, the structure of life and discipline is not a bad thing. Um, if you're disciplining a child to harm them or to make them feel bad, that is a bad thing. But if you're disciplining with the intent of, no, you can't have candy for dinner or no, you can't buy this particular item because we don't have loud noise making things that will drive everyone in the crazy in the house. Um, or because I don't think this is good for you. This is not good for your mental health, um, seeing images like this. Even if your friends have them in their house, that's fine. Uh, you can go to your friend's house and, and see those things uh, or do those things. But in this house, these are the rules we have. And, and kids, like I said, they, 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 uh, if you give them ownership of things, they understand that you know, I don't like it, but this is the way it is. And I live in this house and I'll, I'll go and have my little moment and then I'll come back and still be your kid. So, so I agree with you 100% that uh, there's no harm in doing something if it's in the best nature of the child. And, and they know you care. They know why you're doing it. Um, they've known you all their lives and that you care about guiding them correctly. Can we just talk a little bit about as kids get older? Because obviously the book is geared towards sort of slightly younger children. And can we talk a little bit about teens maybe and in moving into college? And I, I just have a question too, just personally. And I'm wondering, mostly when I'm kind of reflecting on myself, we have three kids and sometimes I think we just get too busy to have the conversations we should have. So I have an almost 14 year old and an almost 17 year old daughter in the city in Manhattan, which I think is maybe it's a little different. Maybe it's not. So they they have money in their accounts. They, they each have money they've either saved or they've gotten from relatives, but then they also each have a credit card. Now, they don't have free reign, and for us, it's a little bit like trust until trust is lost. They usually check in with us before they make any kind of purchases. It's not a perfect system. I guess, how do you feel? Like, would you do that, Anthony? Would you give your child a credit card in high school? Like, how do you see yourself, or how should parents maybe expand on these ideas as the kids get older, more mature, slightly more sophisticated? Sure. So once uh, the first thing I would stress is that it is as as horrible as it to say it this way, it is a case by case basis. You can have one child that spends like crazy and the other child that will, you know, save all the money they can and never, never use that credit card. Um, But I do think that um, 
what going back to the ownership of it if you say that this car if you before the card is given over say that you you put to create a list together and say these are mm. the parameters of this card these are the things that we are expecting do you agree to this even have you sign it and them sign it so it's it's theirs i mean it sounds like a little extra work but sometimes i mean with planning in general for young adults for for anyone putting something down on paper the likelihood that you'll remember it and stick to it is far more than just a conversation that you had before the card gets gets handed over so um, I do think that when they have something that they can see and they know that they agreed to, it, it makes it far more likely that they'll be thinking about it, at least when they're in those moments. Will they make mistakes? Uh, absolutely. Um, if you're giving a credit card, um, monitoring is essential. And I would say also when it comes to young individuals, you know, having you know, built up a savings or whatnot, and they want to try to make money or invest uh, even my, my son's in, in elementary school and he still ha he has friends coming into school saying, oh, I love this company or I love that. Co the, the, boy, the, the children don't even know what the companies are, but they, they hear about kind of, you know, buy this or buy that. And so, I mean, forget middle school where we have, you know, 10 year olds and eight year olds and nine year olds uh, talking about trying to, 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 to learn these things. So one thing I've stressed is that um, also in, in when when young adults are trying to make that transition into you know, taking more ownership of their finances, um, rather than telling them, I want you to meet with someone or I want you to do this, giving them the ability to take the ownership of it. What I tell, so for example, if, if, a, um, if a, a family member says to me, Tony, I'd like you to talk to my son or my daughter. Um, I say, don't force it upon them. Just maybe send them an email with uh, CC me on the email just as an introductory thing. And I'll send a follow-up email just introducing myself so that they feel that I have a third party I can ask questions to. Um, and it, it's, you know, I'm not feeling like I'm being monitored by, by mom and dad or whoever it might be. Uh, uh, having that kind of, uh, there's someone there to help you, but not tell you what to do. Um, mm. I mean, because we all know that teenagers love being told what to do. Uh, <laughs> not <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. um, but yes, if you give them the ownership of saying you committed to this and if it starts to get broken, well, here's what's going to happen. If it gets broken three times, then that card gets right. lost or, or whatever right. it might be. It's, it's just a lot easier when yeah, the, you said this or you said that, um, that, that's a battle that parents really don't enjoy uh, versus, right. nope, we, we said it together. Here it is. That's great. Julie, do you want to add anything in terms of you know, as kids get older, moving into high school and then even college when you're sending them off? Well, my thought, just in terms of practicality, you know, um, I kind of believe in the philosophy of freedom within limits. And when kids are very, very small, we give them very constrictive limits, right? Because all kinds of things can happen to a two-year-old, right? Um, just outside of the realm of money. But as they get older, we want to expand those limits based on their developmental level and their individual personality so that by the time they're in college, they have essentially the same freedoms and privileges that adults enjoy. So when it comes to finances, I always believe that you know, when you give a kid an allowance, you need to make them responsible, not initially, but as they get into middle and high school, you need to say part of your allowance is going to pay for your personal hygiene products. I mean, I'm just picking that out of the, the hat. Most parents don't choose that because kids will be happy to give up personal hygiene. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, well, who needs that? You know, I don't need to brush my teeth. Um, but, you know, it could be, you know... Uh, it gas money for the car. The gas money for the car. It could be pizza after school. It could be whatever. And that as they get older and older, eventually by the end of high school, I think that they should be able to manage a clothing budget. I think that they should be able to manage a, unless you have a kid who doesn't care about clothes in terms of just, you know, they'll wear any old ratty thing. But, um, but you know, some basics going into college or, or the, the years after high school, you know, they need to learn how to budget, budget for food. They need to learn how to budget for gas or, you know, if, if they have a car. Um, they need to learn how to budget for books, entertainment, you know, all of those things that as adults we – have learned over the years. And it may now at this point, you know, feel like, 
oh, well, yeah, that just was instinctive. But it, I don't think it is instinctive. I think that there's a real learning process that has to happen. And, you know, case in point, you know, I was raised, um, my, my parents did nothing to teach me or my sister anything about finances, absolutely nothing. But I was a saver, you know, and so I kind of figured it out on my own so that, you know, my responsibility about money came kind of from my personality. Sadly, that is not true of my sibling. And it's led to a very bad place, you know, right. at this point in time. Right. So, you know, I think it's important to, again, kind of expand those freedoms, expand the privileges, expand what they are going to be responsible for with their allowance so that when they're going into college, they know that they don't have a budget for $30 meal meals out every night. Right. That, you know, that might happen once a month, but they mm -hmm. don't have that budget for, you know, for every night. Anthony, I, I noticed when she, when Julie was saying it's not and she doesn't think it's instinct, instinctive, all these traits and, you know, that you are nodding your head. No, it's not. I guess that's that's one of the big things, right? Yeah, well, um, certainly you can tell very early with a lot of kids uh, who's the saver and who's the spender. Uh, not necessarily, it's not necessarily spend, just doesn't have the passion for accumulating and watching and monitoring. And uh, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. We're all different individuals. We all have different levels of passion towards different areas. And I, I do think that just because someone doesn't have that passion doesn't mean you shouldn't um, still encourage those, those lessons. Uh, at a very early age. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm introducing books that give um, thought process at, at such a young age, uh, because both sides need to be thinking, how would I react in, in this scenario? Um, mm. uh, I mean, I could see Abby going, eat those jelly beans, uh, my daughter. <laughs> so, um, uh, but, um, but on the same end, she understands the concept behind it. She understands mm. why it, now it is important to save. And I do think kind of to, to your point, simple things that you can do for your, for children, even pre-college is things like, um, Asking them when they go out, to, uh, do you have your wallet or your, your purse or whatever it might be? So, do you have your money if you want to make a purchase or something so that it's not mm -hmm. kind of... And, and immediately, uh, the first thought that can go to their head is, okay, if I don't bring my money, then I know I can't ask for anything. But if I do, then I you know, I have to go through negotiating. So it, 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 it's ownership on them. And it, it, it kind of eliminates those kind of uh, the back and forth on should we, shouldn't we. And going back to your point on as they get older, they tend to find things that they are passionate about, whether it's clothing or, or makeup or you know, uh, shoes or who knows. I'm just giving clothing. <laughs> that just came to my mind, but all sorts of different things. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but um, if, if they have those passions, then you can say, uh, going back to the percentage type thing, if you really want that, I don't think you need that. Um, I, won't, I wouldn't say I don't think you need that because trying to say what your opinion is, that devalues their opinion. Now you can say, I don't think that's appropriate for you. And that makes sense. But to, mm -hmm. to say that you're, to tell someone else, adult or child, that you know, just you're wrong because I think you're wrong, um, that, that's creating conflict right there. But mm -hmm. if you say that, if this is something that you're passionate about, then it's, you know, that's 100% on you. You can get it, but you have to use all, all of your money to do it. And then they, they really have to make that decision. Uh, now, if they don't have any money, then you say, well, next time we're in this position, make sure you save up so that you know you can right. um, uh, be in this position. Make sure that, that there's something in the spend. And I mean, the last piece that we haven't really focused on is the uh, the give piece uh, to that. So we have spend, save, give. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it is really important for uh, everybody grows up in different environments, different locations. And um Giving is not just about uh, having funds that, that, that are, are given to somebody else or, or teaching children that they, um, you know, some money should go to others who, are, who may be less in need. It's, that's a part of it. It's important to realize that if you have an abundance, um, it, is, it, it feels good to help others. 
But I think that the giving part also is really important because it, I don't want to say forces, but it, it does in some ways force or at least encourage children to think about what are the types of things I want to give toward? You know, what, what, uh, uh, and you find it's very interesting what, what, where the passion is. Um, during the, the, the COVID period, my, my daughter had a, a very big passion. She is very much into theater and the arts, and, and she had a passion for helping the, the artists that were, were struggling because all the, the, um, the locations were being shut down. Um, so uh, giving them ownership of what they're passionate about, but also kind of uh, giving, making them think uh, or encouraging them to think about, my life is good, I'm grateful for what I have, um, and you know, I want to, to do, to, you know, my money has, it's not just about money. Money itself is meaningless. Money with a purpose uh, has value. So if, if you, it's going towards buying groceries or saving for a car or helping a family in need, then it's much easier to work for it, to, to understand why, you know, not, not going back to the transactional thing on why I'm doing my chores. We, we do that because we're supposed to do that. I'm 100% behind you on that, that piece. <laughs> but it, it just, it's a tool to get to where you want to go and to achieve the things you want versus just a thing that I accumulate. Because if you just focus life on accumulating it, you can have lots of money and be very, very unhappy. Mm-hmm. Wow. I uh, I think that's that's kind of an amazing note to end on. I think I'm yeah. really glad we touched on the giving part of it. Um, because usually I end up I ask the guests to kind of if they could wrap it up one thing, but you kind of you kind of wrapped it up perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, this is the, he's just laying out. I mean, I like this idea. <clears throat> the idea you just said makes so much sense to me. This idea is that it's not money is just money unless it has a purpose and and it can have a lot of purposes it sounds like right whether you're saving giving spending it's just it's just thinking about thinking about it in a real way right it's it's a tool and uh, I promise I was not watching the clock knowing that that it was coming but uh, <laughs> no no yes, you didn't uh... seem like it it didn't <laughs> um, you're in you're in your flow I could tell well thank you and I'll just say that this has been wonderful thank you both so much for for bringing me on board and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation go ahead Julie. yeah I'm sorry. I agree go no ahead. I was just gonna say yeah uh, as have I I can speak for myself and but I think Greg agrees too that it's has been great to have you yeah, it's been wonderful. And I just want to mention it again. Uh, the book is Dash and Nikki and the Jelly Bean Game by Anthony Delani. And uh, you can find it everywhere. And and Anthony, you mentioned you have a few more books that are going to be coming out soon, I guess. Yes. Uh, so um, I released my original book called Owning the Dash. Uh, um, it was uh, released back in 2019. Uh, just actually this past month, I released a book for individuals transitioning into retirement and all the, the, the key questions uh, to consider before you make that transition, because that's, that's a very emotional one and a lot of emotion going on right now in the world. Yeah. Um, but that book is called the, uh, the No Regrets Retirement Roadmap. Um, so, and later this year, I'll actually be releasing two new children's books that uh, will, uh, you've already gotten a sneak peek into one, what it's about. Um, a lot of people love that story about uh, uh, just a, a fun game you can teach. And, and you can tell my, my, it's all about kind of little lessons you can teach in a non-intrusive uh, way. But, uh, but yes, there'll be two new books coming out later this year, children's picture books. Uh, we haven't scheduled dates yet. Uh, the, the world is kind of crazy when it comes to printing and whatnot with, with supply sure. chain. So we're, we're, we're figuring out the time frame. but they're, they're gonna be here. Hope both will be here before the end of the year. Well, great. Uh, yeah, thank you again for joining us. Uh, this has been great. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at julie.ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.